0: power
1: in the pressure as they seem are not the results of massive You may wish to adjust the dial you are currently tuned into the wrong station.
0: first August of the pandemic. July's heatwave had broken, and every day was sunny, not too hot. Perfect weather, really, but every day the same. And maybe it was just spending all that time in the grimed-up, north-facing window of my apartment, but every day seemed slightly dark, slightly dim, like someone had painted a thin wash of filthy water across the hard blue sky. I met Shara for coffee on one of the empty, newly reopened, soon-to-be-reclosed patios in my neighborhood and both of us tried to pretend we were doing fine. You might know the conversation. How are you? Oh, keeping it together. But you might also remember how everybody looked that summer, slightly pale from too much time indoors, with dim circles under their eyes from reading too much awful news. Been working? No, just collecting Serb checks. You think they'll extend it through the winter? Depends how scared of an election they are. What about you? I said. Back to university this fall? Yeah, looks like it. Not the best. But what else is there right now? You want to know if I've got any leads on anything? Yeah. Maybe. You don't seem too enthusiastic. No, I don't know. Uh, It's probably nothing. Just got kind of a bad vibe about it. Like most people my age, I put a great stock in vibes. But also like most people my age, I really needed to work. How bad a vibe are we talking? Well, it's an old IR prof of mine who fucks his students. (laughs) No. I could tell you stories, but no, not that with this guy. I just... I don't know. He does a lot of work with the private sector, and some of these companies it's like, really? These guys? But I guess you gotta get funding where you can find it. You gotta eat, I said. You gotta eat. We like to say, you gotta eat. Anyway... This company he works with is looking for some kind of researcher. To help, I guess, catalog some collection? I'm not too sure about the details, I just got kind of sketched out about it. By the bad vibe? Yeah, by the vad vibe. vad vibe. But like I said, I needed the work. And maybe the work more than the actual money. Reluctantly, Char got me in touch with the prof who forwarded me the email address of a man named Jacobs Avakian. That's Jacobs, plural. A week and a half later, I braved the subway downtown and found myself under the crystal arcade of Brookfield Place. Avakian wanted to meet me in person, and even though his corner office was an airy vastness, it still bothered me that he didn't wear a mask. Avakian was younger than I expected, early 30s, young to have a corner office and a bespoke suit, a product of the meritocracy, surely. He was fit, but with a round face, he tried to sharpen by shaving his hair down to a dark stubble. His eyes were small, his sharp dark suit was offset by the clunking heaviness of several gold rings on his right hand. My appearance seemed to disappoint him. Maybe he was hoping for someone he considered worth leering at. Maybe that's just my imagination. But once he got over that initial response, he was polite enough. The way he looked at me made me feel like a respectable piece of office furniture. So here's the situation. He leaned forward, clasping his hands so that one of those rings clacked against the burnished teak of his desk. Earlier this year, we, that was Kincaid Resources, a division of Kincaid Gold, acquired a controlling stake in this legacy energy company. Legacy energy, by the way, is a euphemism for coal and oil. This company, Colby, had good assets, but bad management. Family owned. Almost seems like the kids blew it up on purpose, he shrugged. Maybe somebody was shorting stock, or maybe somebody just wanted to get back at Daddy. It happens more than you'd think. But the point is, they were a big firm at one point, and owned all sorts of things, which now we own. Congratulations. Sure. Only now, we've got three floors of a building out in Scarborough, filled with a hundred years worth of filing boxes, and nobody's got a clue what's in them. And you think there might be something valuable tucked away in there? He snorted. He snorted. No, I think that place is probably three floors worth of liability. What kind of liability? He flicked his wrist and irritated Jester. You tell me eight weeks from now, and I'll pay you two grand a week to find out. It's shit money, but Serbs about to get cancelled. Deal? I tried to act like $16,000 wasn't a crazy amount of money to me. Sure, I said. And you'll be signing a fuckload of NDAs. We managed the rest over email. The contracts all seemed boilerplate, except for one rider near to the end. Something to the effect of, in the event of an emergency, the signatory will contact the firm's private security, and not local law enforcement. I'm not really comfortable with that clause, I said in a follow-up email. Can we strike it? Avakian's reply was brief. Sorry, he said. Contracts are as is. So, I signed it. Wouldn't you? The next day, an hour and a half trip by subway, then LRT, then bus, brought me to 138 Colby Park Road, Scarborough. The building was five stories of brown, glowering 1970s, ringed round by a waste of paved lots and derelicts that had gradually gone over to brittle yellow grass and tree of heaven shrubs. Its dusty glass front door was heavy but unlocked. Inside, the freon-scented atrium was cool and filled with a dim light that seeped from the brown-tinted windows and grimed up fluorescence. It was the kind of building where the industrial carpet was grey and always slightly damp beneath your shoes. Hello? Anybody here? My voice echoed slightly from the high, dim corners of the lobby before being dulled by that lifeless carpet. No response. I stepped forward to lean over a desk of pressboard and peeling wood-patterned vinyl, an empty swivel chair, a dead pen and yellow pad, a yellowing tower-and-monitor PC from the middle aughts, its grey screen flickering faintly with security footage of empty rooms and halls. I tried calling out again. Hello? Nothing. There was a short hallway beyond the desk, and at the end of it, an old beige elevator stood next to a grey emergency door. Between them... A directory labeled the top three floors of the building, Colby Oil and Gas, in grimy plastic letters. I wandered down to press the button going up. It lit with a sullen yellow glow as machinery within the elevator clanked to life. I waited for what felt like five minutes, scuffing the carpet with my boot tip while the elevator keened and time crawled past. There was something ground into the carpet's pile, some kind of yellowy powder that clung to the toe of my boot. But as I bent down to get a closer look, I nearly jumped out of my skin as the emergency door burst open just behind me. <coughs> An old man staggered through, coughing, and I mean coughing, into a grimy old handkerchief. Behind him, I caught a glimpse of a beige stairwell and wire mesh window. The man steadied himself for a moment against the press board desk, and when the coughing fit passed, he quickly tucked the handkerchief into his back pocket palming it as if to hide whatever it was he'd just coughed up. He was balding and grey, with cheeks split deep by creases like those you'd find on an eroding hill. At the sight of me, he smiled, sort of, in a way I could tell was meant to be comforting, but was absolutely not. Reaching into his other back pocket, he produced a medical mask, crumpled grey and clearly damp. "'Don't worry, it's not the COVID,' he said." using trembling hands to slip the loops around his bristly old man ears. Each of his fingernails, I noticed, were huge and rounded, as if they had been bashed by a cartoon hammer. "'I've had that cough for years, years!' "'Ah,' I said. "'You must be the new girl, from Kincaid.' "'That's right, Annika.' "'I'm Bill. I look after the building. actually used to work for Colby, you know, managing sites out west.' Ended up back east when I couldn't hack the lifestyle anymore. Stayed on with the building when they sold it off to commercial real estate. Became kind of a second home, you know? I glanced round at the cracking, whitewashed walls. Home wasn't the word I would have used. Hmm, I said. Come on, let me show you the space. He jerked his head back towards the door through which he'd come through toward the beige stairwell. The elevator's broken. As if on cue, the machine behind me made a deafening ka-chunk-ka-chunk-chunk-chunk noise that almost gave me a heart attack. The sound was followed by a gentle ding, but the doors refused to open. A thin puff of yellow dust dribbled out between them to settle on the floor like drifting snow. No use calling the elevator company, Bill said, struggling through the emergency door. The dang thing's fricked for good. I followed him up the first flight of stairs and stood by awkwardly as he stopped halfway, wheezing and bent over a cramp in his side. Are you alright? Got some... <coughs> health problems, you know? Not as young as I used to be. Should have seen me in my gold mine days back west. I was something of a looker then, if you don't believe me. He winked, and for a moment I saw the outlines of a handsome man in the wreckage of his face. It broke my heart a little bit, but I smiled back at him and tried to joke. Ah, you still are, Bill. I said, don't sell yourself short. Easy, young lady. (coughs) We don't got an HR department down here. He chuckled the rest of the way up, which made me feel like I'd done something good. But any good feelings I might have had went up in smoke the moment he unlocked the third-story door. Ding, he said, gesturing through. Third floor, the Colby suite. A dark hallway yawned before me stacked from depths to heights with sagging cardboard crates. Only a thin passage wound among the veering stacks to lose itself amongst the shadows of an annex further in. Jesus, I only had eight weeks, but that amount of work could take eight months. Bill's pockets jangled beside me and he dropped a set of keys into my hand. In spite of myself, I flinched at the closeness of his bulbous nails. I think he noticed, but if he did, he bore the slight with long-accustomed dignity. Here you go, Miss Annika. Looks like we'll be neighbors for a bit. If you need any doors opened or boxes moved, just swing on by my office in the basement. Got a coffee maker, too. Coffee's terrible, but it's all's I got since the doctor says I can't smoke anymore. Sure, sure, I'll drop by sometime. No pressure. He turned for the door, but hesitated on his way out. And, uh, Miss? I looked at him but he didn't speak immediately. It was as if he was wrangling with something, trying to find the proper words. contract says I can't kick you out of the building, but, uh, you know, it gets... it gets late for the bus after sundown and such, and I wouldn't want you waiting around out there. Plus, uh... I cut him off. Believe me, I didn't want to be in that building after dark any more than he wanted me there. No, no, I get it. Place is spooky as hell. I'll be gone by six each day. He was visibly relieved. Glad to hear it, glad to hear it. I'll leave you to it then, and let me know, eh? Let me know if you needs anything at all. I saw him off and flipped the lights as shuffled footsteps, coughs, and wheezes dwindled down the stairs. The gray fluorescence fizzled into life, and I wandered, lost amongst the endless stacks. Every time I turned a corner, It seemed like another hallway pushed itself into reality, bristling with heaps of work I'd have no time to do. I noticed more of that yellow dust caked into the carpet as I went. A thin seam of it trailed among the stacks. Maybe the repairman had tracked it back and forth, the last time they tried to fix the elevator. Eventually, the trail led me back around to the annex and I dropped myself into a cracked and yellowed vinyl chair. It was too much work. Too much work for one person to do, for 10 people to do, no matter how good the pay. And it didn't help that the office stank, of dust and rotting paper, and something else as well. A thin but all-pervading smell of rotten eggs. I blew out a long, slow breath and pulled myself together. Not knowing what else to do but start, I grabbed the nearest box and flipped the lid aside. Inside was a ream of yellowed, typewrit pages. Meeting Minutes, read the upper corner slug. Erebus Foundation, July 8th, 1957. By the end of my first week, September had rolled up out of the north, and I had built a routine. I would wake at six, go for a run and eat breakfast, and leave for work by half past seven. That would get me out to Colby Court by nine, which gave me nine solid hours of work before Bill came by to anxiously, insistently, nudge me out the door. I complained about the work incessantly, but secretly I liked it, needed it. After all those aimless months locked down inside my own apartment, it felt intoxicating to have a purpose in my life, to have a project, however dismal it might've been, however much that third floor stank. And I had a system now. At first I was sorting by decade, but then I realized I wasn't just sorting the files of one company. I had documents from Colby Pulp and Timber Colby Oil and Gas, Colby Energy Solutions, and half a dozen other resource firms they'd acquired over the course of the 20th century. There were also heaps of paper from CN, Imperial Oil, the HBC, Thomson, TD Bank, the National Citizens Coalition, Tories LLC, the Erebus Foundation, the corporations of Trinity and Upper Canada College, and so on and so on, etc. ad nauseum. And so I sorted all these documents by separate decade in separate piles. Were these papers stolen? Illicit copies? Acquired through personal connection or membership? There were enough primary sources for a PhD in every 20 minutes of my workday. And I imagined that every last one of them would be shredded when my job was done. But did I try to save any? No, no one would have found out if I had, but some part of me felt the need to be a good little girl and do a good little job. Would you do any different? On Monday of my second week, a knock came at the door. It was Bill, carrying something in a plastic bag. That morning, at least, I was excited to see him. I'd stumbled onto something. Bill, what did you say was the name of that mine you used to work at? Franklin Mine, Site C. in, I thought so. Here, look at this. I crammed an old map into his disfigured hands. Franklin Mine was a black spot against the unlabeled whiteness of the Northwest Territories. Funny how a 20th century map could be as blank as one from 1600. Maybe it spoke to the vastness of the land, maybe the indifference of the mapmaker. Yep, uh, that's it, all right. Bill handed back the map almost without glancing at it. Looks like Colby acquired the rights to it from something called the Erebus Foundation, I said who first surveyed the site while looking for the remains of the Franklin Expedition back in 1921. And I guess, somehow, Erebus just happened to find the gold deposits while searching for a shipwreck hundreds of miles inland. <sighs> Wish I had that kind of luck. Good luck. Bullshit excuse to illegally survey indigenous land. Tomato, tomato. And then Erebus, I guess just gave it to Colby a few decades later? Yeah, says here in exchange for one dollar. How was that even allowed? It was on a reserve. Well... Bill looked suddenly even more gray than normal. That's the North for you. No lawyers, just RCMP and company men. And you just found all that out, did ya? Just by looking at some papers? Well, sure, it's all just here in writing. Same story you see from here to Rhodesia. They're blatant about it. He shook his head. Wouldn't have believed you if you told me all that back in the 70s. Guess things have come a long way. Uh, And I wasn't smart like you back then. Had to learn the hard way how the world tends to go. He turned his head and for a moment stared out one of the few dim windows at the parking lot below. Then he shook his head, forced a smile, and raised the plastic bag. Oh, look at me. Memory's going, eh? Forgot what I came here for. He tossed me the plastic bag. An old respirator of mine. Figured you might need it, count of all the dust. I pulled it out. It was shiny and still smelled of its clamshell packaging. Bill, I said, this is clearly new. Uh, you're off your- Bill, I mean it. You can't be buying me things. Uh, it's not like that. It feels an awful lot like that to me, Bill. Well, you should have one, he exclaimed. He was suddenly worked up. They should have given you one. It's crazy having you like this with all the dust. They don't even care, do they? The vultures. It's all just the same. Kincaid, they're the same friggin- (coughs) He collapsed against the doorframe, and when I stood to help, he waved me away. A moment later, he was gone, down the stairs. And as I sat back down, alone again in that yellow-stained room, I finally realized what I'd known on some level from the moment I'd met Bill. That he was dying. At the start of the following week, Bill came to apologize. I shouldn't have talked to you like that, he said. You're, you're an independent person, and it's not for the likes of me to tell you how to live your life. He'd brought me a sagging styrofoam cup of that terrible break room coffee. It balanced precariously on the sagging lid of a cardboard box next to me. There was also a slightly oily package of Peak Freen's shortbread cookies. They were, and I don't know if it was sheer luck or keen intuition on his part, my favorite. "'Well, I appreciate you saying that, Bill. To be honest, the respirators come in handy, and I've been wearing it a lot. But in situations like this in the future, you should ask someone first. "'No, yes, I understand that now. Really, I do,' he said. He seemed anxious. "'It's okay, Bill. It was a good gift.' He visibly relaxed. Thank you for saying that, Annika. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you let me make amends in that. You know, sometimes we don't get the chance. He trailed off, frowning at the floor, at the trail of yellow dust worked into the carpet. And then he looked up at me, his eyes suddenly clear, focused and sharp. Annika, he said, what are you doing here? I'm working, Bill. I know that, but why are you working here? What are you doing working for these gut-wagon bastards who won't even give you a mask to work safely in? I shrugged. It's not that bad, Bill. It's just a bit of dust, and I need the money. Ah, people always need the money. I needed the money back in the day, you know? Back at the Franklin. And what good did it do me? Still, I don't have a lot of choice here, I need to pay rent." He looked at me for a long moment, something, and to this day I'm not sure what, but something changed in him. He put his hands on his knees and stood with a groan. The joints cracked and popped. "'Where are you going?' I said. He walked past me, not heading for the stairway, but further into the stacks. "'God's to show you something,' he said. I followed him in between the unsteady piles of boxes, and for the first time I noticed that he was tall. I don't know if it was just that this was the closest I'd been to him, or if he was carrying himself differently, but the stooped, dead leaf of a man I'd known now seemed tall and purposeful in the narrow dimness of the stacks. "'Here!' he said. He'd found a box down near the bottom of one of the stacks, behind an overturned table. There was no way he could have found it without knowing exactly where it was. I wondered about all the time he'd spent alone in here for all those years. I wondered if all the work I was forcing myself to do now was something he'd done to fill the long, dull hours decades ago. The box wasn't load-bearing. He slid it out and crouched above it. Bill, what is this? Franklin sightsee, he said. He flipped the lid. Inside, among the now familiar reams of crumbling paper, were a small number of glass sample jars, unyellowed by age. He held one aloft to catch the lifeless glow of a fluorescent bulb further down the hall. The jar contained a chunk of stone the color of yellow pollen. Out of it grew a crystal-like sunset or ruby grapefruit, small enough to hold in your hand, heavy enough that it made his feeble hand shake. That's pretty, I said. I don't know why I called it pretty. The colors were striking, but the stone itself was repulsive to look at in some way. What is it? Orpiment, he murmured absently, staring deep into the stone's bloody light. King's yellow. Is it valuable? No. No, it's almost worthless in itself. But if you get enough of it lying around in a place, it's a signpost. You get king's yellow. You get arsenal pyrite. It means you're likely to get gold. He tore his eyes from the stone, and they bored into mine in the half-darkness. His gaze was blue as ice and bloodshot. Problem is, the kind of gold we're talking about, the kind we mined up at Site C, doesn't just sit around in chunks waiting for you to stuff it in your pocket. No, the kind of gold we're talking about is locked away in the stone. You got to smelt it out, then wash away the slag. Thirty tons. Thirty tons of slag to make one troy ounce of gold. Can you believe it? Can you believe the waste of it? It's a sin to mine gold, Annika. A sin to have any part in it. You understand me now? I didn't and I could see from the panic in his eyes that he knew I didn't, and that for some reason I didn't fully understand, he needed me to understand. He let the jar thud down onto the greasy carpet, and thrust out the sickening ends of his fingers in my direction. Can't you see what's happened? There's more than just gold in the rock. There's arsenic too, and other poisons that a man can't breathe. They get in the water, they get in the air. Thirty tons, Annika, for one troy ounce of gold! He tapped the fallen jar with one clubbed fingernail. This rock, he said, it's the reason why I'm dying, and it's the reason I deserve to. I didn't know what to say. Was there anything I could have said? He stood and stared down at me, his head and shoulders lost in shadow at what seemed to be a great height so that only a golden gleam was reflected from his eyes in the gloaming. "'Get out of this place, Annika! Get out from under these people while you still can! While you're still yourself!' "'Bill,' I told him. "'I can't.' A long moment passed, and then he nodded at what I had said, as if it was only to be expected, and was gone down the narrow hall of Colby Court, leaving me to stare at a strange yellow crimson stone in a sample jar." A long time after he left, I thought I heard something moving further in amongst the stacks. "'$3,200,' Avakian's voice sounded bored over the phone. "'That's an extra 20%, plus a $2,000 bonus if you get the job done in the original eight-week timeline. Look, I don't need more money. I need more time. I've been here five weeks, and I'm not even done the first floor.' "'I don't care what it costs,' he said. His keyboard was rattling in the background.' He was only paying half attention to the call. I want it taken care of, and I don't want to hire an additional person because an additional person is an additional person who can leak shit. You understand? On the other end of the line, a return key walked. Updated contracts in your inbox. Sign at your pleasure. The line clicked dead. I pocketed my phone. It was now October. Through the dim gray glass of floor three, the sky beyond had turned to leaden smoke. Fuck it. I said to myself, fine, for $3,200 i will stay late. The ranks of sodden cardboard swallowed up my voice. A box shifted further in, disturbing the still air and sending out a new draft tinged with the yellow stink of rotting eggs. No matter how many hours I spent in there, and it was starting to feel like half my life, I never stopped noticing that smell. A few minutes later, I had pretended to pack up my things and was on my way out the front door. "'Off early, Miss Annika?' said Bill. He was setting up a shop vac in the atrium. "'Feeling lazy,' I said. He glanced up at the yellowed face of an old plastic clock, just visible through a doorway beside him. "'5.30!' He bent back to the shop vac. "'Careful I don't tell Kincaid on you for stiffin' him!' "'Yeah, well...' It felt awkward to joke with him like this. After the night when he showed me the King's Yellow, we'd kept ourselves to small talk. Kept things light. But it felt as if a coldness always hung between us. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow, Bill. He glanced up at me and held my gaze. Those blue and bloodshot eyes seeing through me for a surprising moment, so that I thought for certain that he knew I planned to stay. God, I suddenly realized he looked terrible. He'd aged, even in the five weeks I'd known him. He'd aged so fast. See you tomorrow, Annika. Sure, and I will. With a final nod, I pushed out the front door and crossed the parking lot. The bus stop was just down and around the corner, but instead of waiting, I did a full loop, entering the rusted-out fence at the back of 138 and crossing back across the parking lot to the emergency door. I'd left it propped open with a bit of brick. A moment later, I was back up the beige stairwell and back amongst the dank and sulfur-scented confines of Level 3, my home sweet home. I worked past six and hid when I heard Bill's coughing in the distance. His slow, shuffling footsteps drew up out of the dim halls, and he appeared hunched and grey, finishing his rounds with a pace of slow and dreary ritual, and a grimy styrofoam of grey coffee trembling in his hands. He didn't see me behind the boxes as he passed. Before too long, he was gone, and at the window behind me, darkness fell beyond the dingy glass." I bent to my work and the hours crept past. All was darkness out the windows. Floor 3 of 138 Colby Court was an isolated, yellow glow in the vast October night. From time to time the elevator groaned and chunked, startling me as it drifted floor to floor. Around 1145, I opened what I told myself would be the final cardboard box that night. And as I did, I heard a distinct ding as the elevator landed at the floor above. Franklin Mine, the file said, Site C. And on top of them, a letter addressed to me. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, chunk. The elevator choked to life again. I cracked the letter from its envelope. The handwriting within was large and shaky, as if penned by trembling and misshapen hands. Dear Annika, it read, I knew you'd come across this by the end. I wish I had something to say for myself. I don't. I needed the money, that's all. Thirty bits of silver's all it takes to damn a man to hell. And now I know it's even less for gold. I'm sorry. Bill. I let the letter drop and reached into the files. Thick wads of yellow paper crumbled away into yellow dust between the yellow folds of aging envelopes. I read. Kung 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 The elevator groaned. Outside, October weather brushed the grimy glass. They were safety reports, signed by Bill, back before his fingers were clubbed and trembling. After that, legal documents, several million liters of tainted water spilled upriver from two reservations and a northern town, Colby Mineral Resources cleared of any wrongdoing. After that, Internal documents marked confidential, mapping rates of cancer deaths nearby in decades following the spill. chung 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 ding The elevator arrived at my floor. I glanced up, half expecting it to open and for someone to step forth. But the door stalled, as always, and only a slender curl of yellow dust unfurled across the weary carpet. I glanced at my phone, nearly midnight. Time to pack up. The elevator groaned again and went ahead as I gathered up my coat and gloves and the mold filled coffee thermos that I'd left the week before. I heard it grunt and ding alongside me through the walls as I made my way down the beige staircase toward the ground. Through the emergency door and into the atrium, ka chung 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 chung, the old machine descended behind me, the yellow light blinking slowly where its meter read, First Floor. Everything else was dark within the building, and without. Annika! A voice spoke from the darkness. I nearly died from fright. Annika! My eyes adjusted. Through the front door's darkened glass and the wide October distance, I could now see a dim light from the sodium bulbs atop the far-off highway. By that feeble glow, I could now see Bill, slumped in a worn-out office chair, pulled up beside the door. Bill? Bill? I whispered. The elevator moaned behind me. Jesus, you scared me. What are you still doing here? Ka chunk, ka chunk, ka chunk, chunk. The elevator approached. Oh, Annika, he said. I could see the pale reflection of tears on his split cheeks. Annika, why did you have to stay? I met his eyes through the darkness, and he knew. Oh, so you found my letter. I nodded. He put his head in his hands and his body was racked by a single, silent sob. The elevator landed behind me with a final ka-chunk and ding, and he suddenly looked up. It's here, he said. The elevator? No, the gold. He stood. The door chimed a second time. Before I had time to ask him what he meant, he murmured, You should get out of here. It's a bad idea to be here after dark. And behind me, the doors of that broken elevator opened, and a radiant slash of light sliced across the atrium. How do I describe what I saw when I turned? It was gold, pure and red, shimmering, vivid in the brown and velvet darkness of October. And it was humped with slabs of shining gray gold pirate arsenic edges like a razor's edge and faces shining like a mirror's face bulging with brilliant crystals the color of grapefruit's flesh and wreathed with a golden wind of radiant yellow dust it trudged towards us and with it came an unbearable fume of rotten eggs, of yellow death, and I shouted at the taste of that air, flinging an arm across my face and staggering backwards out the lobby door. But Bill didn't have much sense of smell left to him. It was how he drank such bad coffee. I remember shouting his name and reaching back to pull him with me through the door, but he shook his head and pulled the crash bar instead. The door slammed, the latch clicked, and he gave me a sad smile as I was left on the cold side of the glass, and he was left trapped inside with what had come to claim him. I think about this all the time. He was a sick and dying man. Lung cancer, at least. Probably a hundred other different things, too. He shouldn't have been strong enough to push me out. Unless, on some level, I let him do it. I mean, wouldn't you? What happened next, I only saw, dimly through the tinted glass. The gold stepped forward, molten, solid, liquid gas all at once, leaving radiant footprints and a trail of brilliant sulfur, and Bill turned to face it, arms spread wide as if to greet an old friend, and the gold took him by the shoulders, gentle, And it had something like a mouth, which it opened wide, and bending over him, it breathed out into his parted lips, and it was almost like a kiss. And after that, it let him slowly tumble to the floor, where he convulsed, and the blood flowed from his mouth, to mingle with the sulfur and the flecks of gold, until it turned the color of sunset, the color of grapefruit's dying flesh. And then he was dead and the gold was gone and I was left standing alone after dark on a concrete lot in Scarborough before a darkened, empty building. I never heard from Avakian again, but I got my money, $2,000 a week for the five weeks I worked plus 20% as discussed. A lawyer also reached out to reiterate the terms of my NDA. The implication, breach of contract lawsuit. But all the same, I breached. It took me a long time to work up the courage, and I wish I could say I did it because it was the right thing to do. But in the end, I really did it as a sort of apology to Bill. For the night he showed me the King's Yellow, where he tried to show me his mistakes. Sadly, though, there wasn't much for me to leak. Just a couple of photos of key documents, one of Shar's friends is doing her PhD on human rights in the mining industry. But I can't say I'm optimistic. Her research will bring much justice down on anyone involved. The new global development school at their university is bankrolled by Kincaid. Same story. Kind of thing you see from here to New Guinea. They're blatant about it. And I still have the respirator Bill gave me. It comes in handy from time to time. There's riots in the city nowadays and the cops come down in ranks to guard the crystal arches of Brookfield Place. When they do, Bill's mask keeps me safe from the CS gas. This
1: week's episode, King's Yellow, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Ray Bernikevich. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon, Thank you to Orin Schacht, Preston Vaughn, Martina Donvita, Sterling Augustus Duncan, Carly S., and a very special thanks to Tales of the Raven for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elon Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.